0: You can focus 100% on the language. Let's learn this language, love this language, without having to worry about any of that. So, I mean, online, one-on-one, 100%. All the time, it's so much better.
1: Welcome to The Fluent Show, a podcast all about loving living and learning languages. Hello everyone, my name is Kirsten Cable and I am from fluentlanguage.co.uk and here to talk to you and chat to you and tell you about anything and everything interesting from the world of learning another language. That's right, it's a new Fluent Show episode, our first interview of the teaching season and my special guest today is Aubrey Carter, the co-host of IELTS Energy Podcast and All English Podcast. So she's a fellow super excited podcaster and Aubrey is just an all-round lovely, lovely, lovely person. She's a super experienced ESL teacher and I'm pretty sure during this conversation you're going to come to love her as much as I do. Aubrey is awesome. Now I chatted to Aubrey Originally, I wanted to just ask her about teaching qualifications because she is a decorated and highly, highly qualified ESL teacher herself but started off in the classroom and now teaches one-to-one. And we talked certainly about whether you need a teaching qualification or not, but we also talked on how she keeps her one-to-one lessons interesting, what she loves about them, and in fact, how to create an online course that guides your students and supports them along the way. So all around, just loved this conversation. No matter if you're a language learner or you're an aspiring language teacher, no matter if you're entrepreneur, entrepreneurial or not, which is interesting because Aubrey herself confessed to not being that entrepreneurial at all, (laughs) you are going to get so, so much out of this conversation. So I don't want to withhold Aubrey from you much longer, but let's just say hello and give a shout out to the sponsor of today's episode, which is Yabla Video again. Yay! The Fluent Show is supported by Yabla, language immersion through engaging videos, for Spanish, English, Italian, French, German and Chinese language learners. And recently I sort of shuffled my language learning allegiances a little bit from Chinese over to Italian. And it was amazing actually to just switch on Yabla and go, okay, I'm just going to switch from this to this because it was that easy. There is so much content on there. Yabla is the premier language learning video platform online with tools to enhance conversational understanding, a patented dictation game called Scribe, and just so much to to watch so many authentic and fun shows. Now, I think the best way for you to understand what Yabla is all about and just get a quick sense of how it all works and how it could help you improve your listening comprehension and your speaking in another language, I recommend you head over to Yabla, that's Y A B L A.com slash fluent show where you're going to find my special tour video that I have recorded just for fluent show listeners so that is yabla.com slash fluent show now listeners it's time to get cracking it's time to go straight to the interview so don't let me hold you any longer let's listen to
0: Aubrey hey Aubrey Hello, thanks for having me. It's exciting to be here.
1: Yes, I'm excited to have you and to come with so much knowledge about such an interesting aspect that I think is really relevant to lots and lots of the learners and hopefully is actually going to be with us as the world opens up again, people start traveling again, yes. and people start thinking about working with languages. Aubrey, yes, exactly. You're new to the Fluent Show audience. Would you do me a favor and briefly introduce yourself to our friends?
0: Sure. Hi, everybody. I'm Aubrey Carter. I am a co-host of the IELTS Energy Podcast and All Ears English Podcasts. I'm also an IELTS trainer and personal coach. And um, so yeah, my master's degree was in TESOL at um, CCNY as part of the New York City Teaching Fellows Program. And I've been—I'm a lifelong learner of French and Spanish. I've taught French and ESL for twenty years now. And yeah, I I actually um, developed my love initially for French when I moved to Belgium to be an au pair. I had taken some classes, high school and college, but it, you know, was sort of boring and wrote and I liked it, but moving there uh, suddenly it was just the most beautiful language and I loved it. So, and then I moved to Montreal, Canada, became fluent and, you know, I, I love learning languages and teaching languages. And I'm excited to talk today about what goes into that and, you know, what it takes to be a teacher, what are the most vital aspects of that? I think it's going to be a really interesting chat.
1: Yeah. So Aubrey, are you a teacher of English? Do you teach in schools? What's your kind of teaching environment?
0: Currently, so in the past, I have taught, uh, I taught French and ESL in the Bronx, and then I taught French for a community college here in Phoenix, Arizona, where I currently live. And right now, I'm teaching personal coach classes to students who are preparing to take the IELTS exam. So writing class classes and speaking classes um, to help them get the scores they need on these exams so that they can immigrate to the country they want to get the job they have been offered. It's really high stakes, and I love it because the students are so motivated, so lovely. Um, You know, we have students from all over the world, international students, and not that I didn't love teaching high school French, but teaching online adults who are so amazing and driven is next level. It's so rewarding. I really love it.
1: What attracted you to teaching in the first place?
0: Oh, that's a good question. I, um, I sort of fell into it by chance. My husband was teaching high school and I, we were living in Arizona and we were looking for a way for him to get a master's degree. And we found this program, the Teaching Fellows Program in New York City, which is similar to Teach for America, if you've heard of that in the United States. There are programs that take um, teachers and they're they're sort of teaching them their philosophy that all students can achieve. All students can succeed regardless of their background. Mm-hmm. And so we, we tried to apply for him to do that, but they would not accept any teachers who had come through their traditional education system in the United States. So they rejected him. But I was a candidate because my degree was history. I hadn't, you know, education wasn't what I studied for my bachelor's degree. So we applied for me um, because the thought of moving to New York City was really exciting at this point. (laughs) And and it was a very um, rigorous process. We had to fly there a couple of times for interviews and um, teaching demonstrations and But I was accepted. And it kind of was crazy what happened because then after I was accepted, we found out I was expecting. I was pregnant and I was going to have the baby right in the middle of this training when they first train you to teach in New York City. I know. And you weren't allowed to miss any time of the training. So even to like have a baby, they make no exceptions. They just kick you out of the program if you miss even one day. So we didn't really know what to do, but we decided we were going to figure it out somehow. And we went, we moved to New York City and I did this program. And he actually was home with our kids in New York City um, as like a manny for a couple of years, which was awesome for him and a nice break for me. (laughs) But so that's how I ended up teaching. I got accepted to this program. And so I completed my master's degree, this program program sort of pays for your master's degree in exchange for you teaching in a high need school mm-hmm. in the city. So I taught in the Bronx while I completed my master's degree. And um, I taught French and ESL in a high school there. And then once I had my um, ESL degree, I had taught previously. I had taught um, ESL in Montreal, Canada. I had taught... Um, on a, you know, as a tutor and volunteer basis. But this was the first time that I full-time was teaching and I loved it. I loved teaching French. I loved making the classes exciting and engaging. I was a really fun teacher, which was fun. My students loved me. It was ninth and 10th grade French. And I think that's sort of in my nature that I like to be the center of attention. I like to be fun and, and entertaining. <laughs> so that was perfect for me.
1: <laughs> I think every teacher can do with a dose of performing in a way like we all perform in a, in a way
0: oh yeah definitely <laughs> i think if you're not performing at all you're probably a pretty boring teacher you know <laughs> at least that's my philosophy i think the most important thing is for it to be engaging And once it's engaging, if the student is interested and engaged, this is especially true in high school, then they're learning. And if not, if they're not engaged, you've already lost them. They won't learn anything.
1: Mm. So I want to know about this master's program. You say, was your master's program language teaching focused then? Or was it a sort of, this is mostly about the teaching and you can you can go there and it's a bit like in the uk we've got this thing called a pgce which is a Mm -hmm. postgrad certificate of education so you can go with your history degree your engineering it doesn't matter what your first degree is you just take Mm -hmm. this and it's a year's practical course that gets you the start in a school
0: Gotcha. So this was very much built for working teachers. So they knew we were Ah. all teaching full time while we took these courses. So it was night classes, sort of like an evening MBA would be, right? Mm -hmm. And we were set with a specific cohort. So there were, I think it was 25 students that were the same students in all of my classes. So that was interesting. We really grew close, these students. Um, And it was sort of a, a mix. The classes, there was teaching theory, you know, linguistics, grammar, all of these um, classes that any of the education or TESOL teachers would take, Mm -hmm. but then a lot of more practical. Like there was a, I remember a specific class that was um, teaching you to um, use art, art projects to reach um, special education ESL students. So much more focused, right? Something Mm -hmm. that and these were classes that were only available to those in this program. You know, not every um, student at the college had access to those specific classes. So it was interesting how specific it was for what I was doing during the day. It was great to, um, to go to this class and have something, to learn something that I could use the very next day in, my, in the classes that I was teaching during the day.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so it was a TESOL, basically a TESOL program.
0: Yes. So it was a TESOL program. You finish with your master's in science of TESOL. And wow. um, it it was great. It was fantastic. There was, There were certainly things that I would change, like the grammar class, for example, they just throw you in, you know, grammar 421, which is the same English grammar class that anyone would take. Mm-hmm. And what I needed was a class that would teach me how to simplify grammar and make it easier for my students to understand it and help me see what about grammar do students actually need to be learning? Because a lot of what we were learning was either not really how people were speaking or I would never like then go the next day and teach that to my students, right? So some of it wasn't as practical yeah, and that was difficult. yeah.
1: This is interesting. This reminds me of when I started teaching one-to-one. I looked at various teaching qualifications, various, you know, German teaching qualifications, but also English teaching qualifications, because I felt a little bit unsettled, untethered, felt a little bit of imposter syndrome, because I just kind of came into this space. And I was like, right, I'll make an account on italki and start teaching one-to-one classes. And I had the tutor experience in the background, but I had never taught in a traditional system. So I felt a little like... And every student I had, I remember my first sort of five, six students, I gave them this big speech about, look, I have, I don't have this qualification, but I have researched the qualification. And this, these are the reasons that I believe I don't need the qualification, because I feel that I actually have this this foundational knowledge and I will be able to help you in the same way. And then there is this other aspect, which is classroom management. We're not going to need that because we're to I just gave right. them this huge speech and I still believe it. But I remember right. feeling so... Feeling so like I'm missing a piece, or like I just I I felt like I had no credibility as a teacher, or as somebody who can help somebody else learn a language when I first started, because I lacked the qualification. When in fact now I would say I lacked the experience, and certainly had a (laughs) bit of you know faffed around a little bit doing inefficient things, but I was never bad, really, really wasn't. So I'm curious. As somebody who has gone through this, I think so many people have these kind of questions like, do I need the qualification? Should I have the qualification? What is what is it going to do? What's your view on all that?
0: Well, it's interesting because I went through something very similar because like two days before I was scheduled to start teaching ESL in the Bronx, the principal sent out an email and said our foreign language teacher just quit. It was going to be Chinese. And she Quit. I, I don't know the details about why, but they asked, does anyone else, can anyone else teach a foreign language? And I said, I'm fluent in French. I had lived in countries and I, I was very fluent, but I, I certainly had never, you know, my education was not to teach French. Um, but I said I could teach French. And so the, that first day they threw me in, I was teaching ESL and French. And at first I felt that way very much. I said, I don't have qualifications for this. <laughs> I feel like an imposter, you know, here I'm just like, I, I speak French and I did speak well, but I had never taken a class to teach French. And so... um it felt that way very much, but I realized very quickly that all of the skills I was learning to teach ESL translated directly to teaching French. I used the same skills. I engaged students in the same way. I knew enough about the language to be able to teach it. And in some ways, I think I was a lot better teacher than I would have been if I had come through the United States' secondary education program to teach French, right? Because I wasn't as focused on grammar. I was more focused on, let's get you to be able to speak and communicate in this language, and I ended up um, going the opposite extreme where they had me take an exam in New York City to, it was just, that proved you were qualified. And then they had me go to a training at Rice University in Texas to teach um, IB French for the International oh, yeah. Baccalaureate Program, which is a much higher level French. So I skipped the, you know the bachelor's or whatever it would have been and went straight to teaching IB French and did a stellar job of it. I had students getting high scores on the French Regents and IB tests in spite of not having those qualifications. So I'm definitely the, I'm sort of the poster child for French of, um, you don't have to go through that regular route. You don't have to, um, you know, just sort of do it the way it says on paper. There are all sorts of routes to get you where you want to be. If I wanted to teach French, I could do it. I looked into, you know, just the, sort of this exam to test out of, to, to to be considered highly qualified in New York. And that mm-hmm. was really all it took.
1: Now you've taught in the classroom and you're now teaching one-to-one online. What are the main differences in, in your experience as a teacher?
0: Oh, it's so different. <laughs> the a world of difference. Partly, I think if I had a classroom of My students that I teach online right now, I mean the a classroom of ninth and 10th graders in the Bronx who were coming from troubled backgrounds but also weren't choosing to be in French this they were like this is your only option you have to be in this language class right and you know it was so, it was so difficult to engage them where they didn't see the importance of learning French they didn't really want to there were so many things they would rather be doing with their time compare that to my students now who are so highly motivated and it's it's you know very high the classes that they're in, so that is what makes a huge difference. For there definitely was a lot of um, classroom management, and but also just giving those students the buy-in. We I did a lot of lessons about culture in different French-speaking countries, and mm-hmm. a lot of. Um, My students who had roots, you know, in Africa, they were so excited to find out that a lot of these um, countries in Africa, people speak French and they might be able to one day go there and speak to them and things like that that got them more excited. So to help them get the buy in made a world of difference, right? But there are other differences too, as, you know, I'm sure a lot of your listeners who teach know to not have to deal with any classroom management. Like when you were doing the italki tutoring, um, you can focus hundred percent on the language. Let's learn this language, love this language without having to worry about any of that. So I, I mean, online, one-on-one, hundred percent all the time. It's so much better.
1: <laughs> you don't, do you, you don't teach on italki, I believe. You work for uh, a company focused on a specific flavor of English. Can you tell me more about that?
0: Right. So I work for All English. And we, our motto is very much, you know, connection, not perfection. So we have two podcasts where we just, we sort of, have taken and thrown out everything that doesn't help with language learning. So avoid, you know, classrooms and textbooks and find things that actually interest you. If that's a podcast or movies or TV, uh, you know, a class, I know you had talked about taking a dance class in another language, something like that, that you love. And use that to learn the language instead of worksheets and sort of that old method that really doesn't work very well. So I love I love working for this company. It's been really fun. We have um, a few different focuses. We have a, a couple of online courses, a general fluency course, an IELTS preparation course, and a business course. And so whatever students are looking to improve as far as their English, we have the course they need, and then we provide personal coaching within the course.
1: Mm. If somebody comes to you and they say something like, "Oh, I just want to do like a conversation class. I I just want to get better. Do you offer them something or is, yeah? What do you what do you say?" The-
0: the main thing we would offer is our uh, our online general fluency course, and right. it's actually really interesting what it is. It was um, the founder of our company and uh, another person, another member of our team did this road trip across the United States and back. They went through... Um, every state and interviewed natives about very controversial topics, right? Gun tr- gun control, um, drugs, right? Um, wow. Tattoos, cursing, all the you know stuff that is very American. A lot of the things, and um, got all these different opinions and really interesting interviews and then they built lessons around them so they would teach the vocabulary you're going to hear then you hear the interview and then there's an activity lesson and a quiz about it right mm-hmm. so it's like you're able to go to the United States and interact with all these natives and it's sort of giving you the chance to have immersion when you actually live in the Philippines or somewhere where you're you're not able to physically have that opportunity especially with COVID where people aren't able to travel right so we are able to get them into that course, which is amazing. And then inside the course, we provide provide those personal coach classes or just the communication where one-on-one over Skype, we'll chat with our students either answering questions or clarifying idioms they've learned or just to chat. And with the business course, it's often like, I need to know how to say these things at work and Mm -hmm. pronunciation classes, very specialized, specific to what our students need.
1: So the way you're teaching somebody even in a fluency focused course even in a course that is conversational where as a teacher you might not feel that you you can do that much guiding you still actually come in with a structure and you require your students to take the structured program before they can get access to the tutor is that right?
0: Yes, exactly. We don't offer our personal coach classes to students unless they have purchased our online language course. Mm-hmm. And depending on what they need, right, it might be general fluency, it might be preparing for the IELTS exam, or it might be um, business, you know, what, what you're needing to learn to communicate at work, Right. Mm -hmm. And then once they have that, because we spent a lot of time creating these online courses that our students can access from home anytime they want, they can do it over and over and over. We give them 180 days access. Mm -hmm. And so from within that framework, they're learning all these things and and have all these questions so that when we do have a personal coach class, it's um, it's easy for them to come up with like, okay, I understand now what I really need in my life to communicate in English. Help me with that. Right. Mm-hmm. Instead of it sort of being like, let's just chat, and they can do that on iTalki, right? Um, and this is this is much more specific for students who see a need in their life, um, a specific need in improving their their English skills in a specific way, and they're able to fill that through one of our online courses, and then the classes with us inside that.
1: I can see how that sets you apart from iTalki, and I find that that really really stands out to me. Now, if somebody is a brand new tutor just setting up, and we've talked about obviously the advantage or disadvantage of having a qualification, but do you think do you think it's better to have some kind of structure in mind that you bring the student into? Or as a one-man band, one-woman band, do you think it's better to just offer something and then
0: let the student kind of guide the classes? Oh, that's a good question. I do, for my classes, I do come in with some kind of structure so that if the student doesn't really know exactly what they're looking for, it's not just a wasted time. Um, But then I'm open to, I'm very flexible so that if they come with a structure and they know exactly the questions they want to ask, that's what we focus on, right? Mm -hmm. But that being said, I feel like any teacher of any language, I think we can all get stuck in, um, we can have a student come to us with very specific questions about something specific, and we'll have a tendency to say, I can help you with that. I can answer those questions just because I speak English. Whereas we might not be the best person for that, right? I'm thinking of this, the IELTS exam that we prepare students for. We often have students come to us and they've been told by other language teachers, things that are not accurate for this test that can actually bring their scores down that are either maybe, um, accurate for the TOEFL exam or just for like academic English writing in general, Mm -hmm. but not for this exam because there's so many things that are much more specific to it. So I think language teachers can actually hurt their students if they... um, sort of try to set themselves up as an expert in something that they're not. Like right now, I don't know much about the TOEFL exam. If a student asked me, can you help prepare me for the TOEFL exam? I would, I would say no. I really don't know that much about the exam. You need to find a teacher who does, who specializes in that. And we're lucky enough, one of our team members was an IELTS examiner for 14 years. So she was able to create our IELTS study system. She knows everything there is to know about this exam and was able to train us. So we're experts for that exam. But we don't give advice about any other exam because it's also specific
1: mm. you've got students then coming to you with a very specific goal in mind. Do you take any students who well you've you've already talked about how you take students who take a more general route, but when a teacher has got a student coming to them that doesn't have this specific goal in mind and just knows they want to practice generically. What you do at is English, I love that, that you offer them this specific resource and you say, okay, we'll put you in our structured course. We give you these materials and that way you generate something that they can talk to you about and you generate something that makes them aware of specific aspects. So essentially you're, you're yes. pre-generating the conversation. Can you see a way that a solo teacher might be able to do something similar?
0: Yeah, I mean, so anyone can can create, like take your expertise and create an online course that is a general fluency course, however you want to create it. Mm -hmm. I think anyone could do that and you can either market that course and then, um, you know, teach classes um, from it, like that's certainly a possibility for anyone. The tricky thing is, is there something better out there? right? So I think that's the first thing is to really look at the market, find out like when we did our business course, we looked into every business course that was available. And we said, we want to do something different, but a lot of them were very outdated. A lot of them were not really teaching what you need for this new and growing economy. And we surveyed a hundred, um, over a hundred native business professionals. We got all the, you know, their expertise and their knowledge. And then we set up interviews. To ask them questions even more, diving really deep into, um, you know, for like an HR expert about interviews and what do our students need to know about interviews? What impresses you? And just really deep dive into everything they could know. And we made sure that the course we were creating was the best thing on the market, that there was nothing out there that could really compete, right? So that we could honestly tell our students, this is the best thing for you. Whereas I think if, if you do go to create a course like that, you don't want to just create like another among thousands, right? Because it would be very difficult to market that and really be successful doing that. But if you find... um a way to make it very unique and very um, effective, then you definitely could just recommend your course. You know, you see these ads all over for, um, you know, oh, I earned this much from, I finally published my online course and now I've earned this much. The trick with doing it and doing it well is to have it be better than anything on the market.
1: Mm, yeah oh, no 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 small feat there Right, <laughs> it's, just, it's just a small thing <laughs> but I love I, I love what you're saying and I think you're coming to a point that is worthwhile for teachers to bear in mind as well because I speak to a lot of online teachers who do have this dream of building an online course and they often it's kind of like you think about it similar to lesson prep but creating this course if it is to be its own product is if it is to be something that informs how you teach and informs sort of your approach and your method and sums it all up for a longer time it really is worth going into it and building the coolest thing that you possibly can and it right. doesn't i don't think it has to be necessarily like the best in the market if it is the best in like your flavor of the market that right. is you know if it because the the best is almost subjective but objective you know you know what i mean yes subjective. Sub- subject subjective opinion <laughs> yes. Uh, yes but it does have to be something what you are proud to to present to people and you are proud and that really links into your particular teaching style and your method the if somebody okay aubrey a question that I have that occurs to me is how does your time break down at the moment between lesson prep, actual one-to-one lessons, making that podcast? And even though you you don't look after all the business aspects of the company that you work for, it does sound like you've got your hands full.
0: Yeah, definitely. So when our students, um, purchase one of our online courses, they are able to get into an exclusive Facebook group where they can also ask questions either about the course or any questions about grammar, vocabulary. And the, inside they find this very, um, supportive community of like-minded learners. And then we are there answering their questions right away. And so I, um, I f- I help with those groups, you know. I'm I'm in there answering questions, facilitating social media. So um, there's a lot of social media as part of my job, and then I record um, three to four podcast episodes each week for these two different podcasts. We also teach web classes, so our students are able to come for a free class, um, which we're, it's really fun. We are able to teach something that is very useful for them, but then also let them know about these online courses that we have available. And um, so it's, very, it's nice because it's so flexible and it's so different every week what I'm doing. I, it just never gets boring because it changes all the time. But I'm also writing the blogs for our episodes. We provide a really detailed blog for each episode, and I write those, and And I am – you know, I do a a little bit of writing – the podcasts planning podcasts. And, um, as far as lesson prep, I don't have to every now and then I'll have to do a little bit of prep. If a student sends several questions about, um, business English that, you know, maybe I need to look up exactly how to teach a grammar point or, you know, some plan, some example sentence for some different idioms that they might use at work, something like that, a little bit of prep, but for most of the IELTS exams, I don't have to, um, do any prep. Um, Um, so yeah, it's, uh, I also have four children that are home a lot (laughs) with the pandemic and schools being out. So it's nice. My job is very flexible. I can fit it in wherever I have time.
1: Mm -hmm. In terms of, you said that you don't do a lot of lesson prep. And I think that sounds like for many of us, for for many people who teach one-to-one, who've got sort of 25 students a a week or something like that, that sounds like the absolute dream. So how many students do you
0: have in a week? Um, well, it really varies. Before COVID, um, when IELTS test centers were open, I would teach, um, maybe 15 to 20, uh, 30 or 60 minute courses each week. Um, and now it's quite a bit less because uh, all over the world, a lot of the IELTS exam centers closed. Mm-hmm. And um, so that went down. Now, Right now, I'm only teaching maybe five to 10 courses a week. But for each of those, for the, for the ones preparing for IELTS, it's a very specific class where a student is submitting two essays, a task one and a task two essay. And I'm providing writing feedback with them, live, online, Skype. We're both looking at their essay in a Word doc. It's really great so that they can see exactly what they need to work on. And we're able to do it according to the scoring system specifically for that test to help them see this is what you need to do in order to get your score. And the same for the speaking exam. We do a mock speaking test for the IELTS exam and we give them feedback according to the scoring system and tell them exactly what they need to do in order to get the score they need. Because everywhere for this exam, Students have this, a specific score they're aiming for that either their university is requiring so that they can go to school somewhere or that is required for their visa for immigration. And unless they get that score, they can't, you know, move with their family to Canada or whatever their goal is, their dream. They're being held back just by this exam. So those classes I don't have to prep for because it's, um, once you know the scoring system well enough, when you have this much experience in this specific, um, Niche, I guess. Right? Um, It's not rote, but it's um, you know I can look at this the essay or or do this speaking um, practice, and I know exactly what advice I need to give them. I know exactly what they need to work on. Um, It's not a different lesson every time.
1: Mm -hmm. How do you keep things fresh if you're always teaching towards the same exam?
0: Oh, you know, I feel like the student brings the freshness because they're, they're from a different country, a different age group, a different background every time. And, um, so I'm, I'm able to meet them, get to know them a little bit. And then they're, what they're doing is so different, right? The, the essay they've written is so different and the, the, the struggles they're having, the things they need to work on are so different. So it is different advice every time, different struggles that students um, need help with. So that keeps it interesting and fresh for sure. And, um, you know, as far as the speaking exam, I always, um, it's still in the format of the IELTS exam, but always different questions. Um, it's cause that just keeps it interesting because for part one of that exam, it's just personal questions. So you can ask them, you know, what do you eat for breakfast? What do you like to eat on the weekends? How often do you hang out with friends? And that's just fun. It's just like having a chat with international students from all over the world who are all very interesting people.
1: Hmm. That's true. And you obviously love people, so it does feel like you are you're well (laughs) suited to
0: it. (laughs) <laughs> yes, it's true. I really do love people. And I love feeling. I, it's so rewarding to me to see them improve. I can see, you know, in the second course, they're d- doing so much better. Or we, we do like email essay feedback. And after the one course, they maybe they'll email me an essay. And I see how much they've improved and they're going to get their score. And that's so rewarding for me to help people actually accomplish their dreams and meet their goals. What could be more rewarding? It's so exciting.
1: Can you dive into your bag of sort of teaching tricks and share a few kind of go-tos that always, always work in terms of questions to generate a good discussion or in terms of a trick about correcting a student?
0: Hmm. It's funny because I feel like my bag of tricks, I use more, and I still do have opportunities sometimes to teach in person, but I always would, um, go for a game. And I, I still use this a lot, um, recording podcasts because we're at, um, you know, a thousand podcasts for IELTS Energy, what, 1600 podcasts for All years English. And to keep creating new, interesting content can be challenging, right? So you have to be creative. You have to, especially with IELTS Energy where we're a little more, we're just teaching what will help them prepare for that exam. You have to be really creative, right? So I love to um, pick a game that I know how to play and figure out a way to um, help students prepare for that or help students learn something, right? So um, a good example is Taboo. Have you ever played the game Taboo? Yeah, I love it. Have you heard of it? It's so fun, right? And so when I first taught ESL in Montreal when I was like 20, 19 or 20, I used this game we would take words that we just needed our students to learn and You'd have the few words they can't say while they describe it, and they loved it, and it was so fun. And then, you know, I've used it in my classroom in the Bronx. It was great in both ESL and French. And then we did a podcast recently where we're showing students how to use that to learn parallel expressions, because there will be keywords in the exam they have to look for, but it's rarely actually the keyword in the question and the passage. Instead, it's a synonym or a parallel. And that takes some brain training to be able to recognize those and look for them. And Mm -hmm. so this was, this is a really fun game to use for that because you can't say the words you want to say to describe something. You have to think of another way to say it. You have to paraphrase it and it really sharpens that skill. So to take a game and something that's so fun and use it to, to learn this specific skill that you need, that's, that's the best. I love games anyway.
1: (laughs) I love your enthusiasm about this. you mentioned that it's, this works with your teaching whether you're teaching TESOL. this works whether you're teaching French. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right? What, so in your in your opinion, in terms of how you see the online teaching market and what you see out there and obviously you're aware of italki if someone sort of comes to this and maybe they're an english native speaker with good skills in another language and they're unsure of where to even start would you advise them to teach english and if yes where would you say
0: somebody should start wow you know i mean there's a reason that i didn't Create my own company. I feel like it does take a certain type of entrepreneurial um, personality to to take that on, mm. to to create that for themselves in the market. And I did not have that in me. I, I first of all, I had four children, and I recognized that I already had a lot on my plate. <laughs> So I was looking for to be a part of a team for a company that had already built that. So honestly, I haven't really looked into it that much because I'm not naive enough to think that that's an easy thing to do. I think that it's, that's big to create. A place for yourself in the market, and figure out how to have students find you. Right there's a lot. There's a reason that a lot of us instead just go to Italki and become a tutor or work for another company. So anyone who's even attempting that, I'm first of all impressed with you. And I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure what the first steps would be, but I know that it would be an uphill battle for sure. Mm -hmm. And what I do know from working for All English is that I think it always takes a team. So I think the first thing I would do would be to look for like-minded individuals who also are excited to start something from the ground up and together you know, really research the market and find out what there's a need for. And like you said, it doesn't have to be the only thing in the market, the very best thing in the market, but something that is a different take on it, a different twist on it, something that you can market as... um, You know something that is better in a way that you know. Why should they purchase your course over someone else's? That question needs to be very clear for you.
1: Mm, I like that you you are very clearly drawing a line between you know going to italki and kind of setting yourself up as a tutor, and that is. That is very different from running the whole show. And I agree with you. I can say from experience, it is very different. (laughs)
0: Yes.
1: It's infinitely rewarding to run the show, but also, I think an uphill battle is a very good way of. (laughs)
0: Yeah, <laughs> And I didn't have the bandwidth for it. You it's, know, I yeah. had four small children. I, I wanted to be working as soon as my youngest started school, kindergarten. And um, I was excited to be working. I was so excited and felt very blessed to find this job. But I didn't for a moment consider, you know, striking out on my own and trying to create something. I I just didn't have it in me because I knew 80% of my attention still had to be with my kids until they're grown.
1: mm. For our tutor italki friends who maybe might not be quite sure yet whether the entrepreneurial fire is burning in them, because I think when you first start out, you don't really know. That's true. <laughs> what do you? What tips would you have for somebody who says, Aubrey, experienced one-to-one online teacher, tell me, how can I be the best italki tutor or the best other companies are available? I think Working so through an agency it, tutor I could possibly yeah. be.
0: I think it's just to be fun. I think when it comes to language, even if people haven't put a name to this, if their language classes aren't fun, they aren't going to want to go back. They're going to be disappointed and they're not going to learn. So this that's always been huge for me, that first and foremost, whatever I'm doing, for the listener, for my student, it's going to be fun for them. And that's partially engaging, but also just fun. Like I want my students to really look forward to seeing me in class, if look forward to chatting me, if, you know, if it's italki. And the I can't imagine how... Um, terrible it would be to be a teacher and have my students dread coming to class. And this comes a lot from when I was teaching, you know, in ninth and 10th grade in the Bronx, those students all dreaded to coming to class. And so that was my biggest challenge was how do I get this to be fun for them? So even if they don't care about learning French, they're having fun. And then for all of the teachers out there where they've actually got a student who does want to learn the language, they've already got that motivation. It's a little easier. All you have to do is make it engaging and it will be fun.
1: Do you think fun is productive for language learners and more than taking the exercise and trying really hard to capital S study?
0: Yes. So much. So much. I mean, maybe it depends on your personality, but for me, if language learning isn't fun, I just don't do it. I'll skip the class. I'll avoid whatever it is if it's not fun. Right. Mm -hmm. And some people might be more motivated where they're just like, I am just learning and it's okay if this isn't fun. That's not me. And I think it's not the average language learner, especially if they do go and attend a class or talk to a tutor who is fun and they see, oh, language learning can actually be really fun. And then if you're if you're focused more on making connections with people through whatever medium, podcasts, through chatting with a tutor and you see like how fun it can be, then you're going to avoid, I think, those situations where language learning is a little dull.
1: Mm. Aubrey, I can't imagine that you would have had a big teaching disaster ever in your
0: life. <sighs> You're wanting me to think of one. <laughs> Can you remember any? Think, um, teaching disaster. Mm. You know what? This I don't know if I've ever shared this with anyone. I'm going to get real, real on your podcast. So right are exclusive, <laughs> right? When I was in the Bronx, I had grown up in Idaho, which is very conservative, and um. Politically, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, very sheltered. Okay. So I was coming from a very sheltered place, let's say. And I had traveled. I had gone to Europe and I had traveled some, but I just hadn't had enough conversations or met enough people to pull myself out of this very sheltered way that I grew up. Um, and the mindsets. And I remember, um, a, a few conversations. I won't go into specifics, but a few conversations with students where I said things that I really regret now. They came from a place of privilege. And now I realize I was wrong. I grew up with this mentality. You know one of them one of the students was he was sort of just talking about a little bit of detail. He was sort of talking about how it's um it's more difficult for um, black students in New York to make it to to go to university and to be successful in their jobs and I disagreed with him, and mm-hmm. I said, "You know there's affirmative action, there's all kinds of programs that that put us on even fields and make it possible and He just sort of rolled his eyes and was like, "You don't know what you're talking about." and I really felt like I did." But it has taken, you know, 20 years of life experience for me to realize I didn't. And I wish I could go back and change some of the conversations I had with my students. Um, I wish I could give myself this realization I have now of the privilege that I had and the misunderstandings that I had of how the world worked and um, and instead come from a place of understanding to to help that student be heard and help build them up for a future success that I potentially could have helped more with. Does that make sense?
1: Yes, that does make sense. That's an extremely reflective answer and, and so honest as well. I don't, and I'm definitely, I don't judge you for that at all. I think it's, it's a place that, you know, like you say, it's the place that you came from at the time. And you're making a really interesting point about, you know, sort of affirmative action and all that stuff. And all this stuff, I think that, on the surface, we look at and we go, "Okay, problem
0: fixed." <laughs> right, and that's how I felt at the time. Yeah, oh, that fixed that. <laughs> yeah, a lot of it was naive. I, you know, I was I was naive. I I just didn't really. Mm. I hadn't had enough conversations with. People I hadn't met enough people who weren't like myself, and now that I have, I've been able to have a lot more experience. I see more how the world works, and I've I've been able to um, open my perspective and realize that I was wrong about a lot of things. You know, and I I wish some of these students who were so amazing. I wish I could go back and have a chat with them now. You know, I wish I could go back in time and and change some of those conversations. You
1: know? mm. Something you're highlighting there as well is the importance that is. I think, especially when we're younger, we don't really see yet. And when you first start out as a teacher, you think it's all about broadcasting, but there's an importance to listening that doesn't get taught, I think.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. And I I wasn't taught, you know, with my bachelor's degree, my master's degree, I, I didn't know and my life experience really hadn't taught me how to listen and open my perspective, like let go of stereotypes, let go of preconceived notions and listen with the possibility that this, this young person talking to me might know more about the world than I do. I did not have that understanding and I wish that I had.
1: Mm. Do you know anything about whether that program is still running and whether there's been any changes made to it? Because it sounds like there's probably a consistent theme or it could be possibly a consistent theme of you've got somebody who is white American and comes from a fairly sheltered background and you're wanting to, you know, you, you said that you go into a school that is perhaps struggling and you're you know, you're coming in there and it you can sort of come in like, well, I'm the savior and I know how the world works. And that's right. something that's something that in the program structure could happen again.
0: Well, it's interesting because this, this course, this master's course, some of the, the classes did, they were very intentional about trying to help these teachers, um, really believe that everyone could succeed. I, I remember some very specific things. We read Um, this article about white privilege that was very eye-opening to me. That, that was sort of where my perspective began to open up, was with this Teaching Fellows program, right? And they did the activity where, you know, you all stand in a line, and it was like, take a step forward if, you know, if you... If your parents paid for your education, or you know, and and things that opened your eyes Mm -hmm. to your privilege, definitely, and I, I, I'm sure that they, this program does still exist, and I'm sure that they continue to, to do that, to do what they can to, um, to to close this gap that exists, Mm -hmm. and it is doing great things, and it worked for me, right? If I had not, if I had stayed in on the west coast, and. I I know people my age still who, um, we see things very differently. We don't see things eye to eye because we were raised the same way, but I then, um, had experience that I believe really changed my perspective and they haven't had those experiences. So I I credit that a lot to this program that I did in New York city and the people that I met there, the students I taught there to open my perspective and make me a better world citizen, Mm -hmm. um, at least I feel that I am. I feel that I have a better understanding, and and I'm and I'm better at listening. Like you said, a lot of it's just about listening to other people's experiences and 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 trying to have some empathy and recognizing that there there is a gap, and then seeing what you can do to try and make a difference.
1: Mm-hmm. You're making you're making a really good point there as well. And I keep saying you keep making good points, but you you <laughs> really are. the The thing I'm taking from that as well is that. You don't instantly, through one or two classes about, hey, white privilege is a thing, become this super aware person,
0: right? No, you know you definitely. can't change
1: your, you don't change your whole perspective instantly, but it's a start. and you just hit right. yes, and you hit that moment where somebody else says to you, look, things aren't as easy for me as they as they may have been for you, um, and you just slip back into, oh, you just gotta work harder. Right, exactly. Yes, yes. Right, so what I do feel tricky. like it was a
0: start for me and it improved my life drastically. And I, But it's like you said, the whole time I was actually teaching in the Bronx, because I was only able to do that for two years, mm-hmm. um, I, I hadn't learned that yet. Like it, it took, I mean, it just It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen after one course. But it did start me on a path of improvement. So that's good. That's something.
1: Absolutely. Well... Not not a teaching disaster as in, well, that lesson was rubbish, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but certainly certainly emphasizes to me the importance for a teacher to listen and the importance to be aware of your students' needs and to not make assumptions about what your students are going to need. And I think that's something that in traditional education systems, they're just not set up for that. It's something that we in one-to-one classes get the absolute honor of being able to to adapt to our students much quicker and we're just so much more flexible.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's a good point. And it's um when you ha- when you're one on one with one student to really be able to um cater what you're teaching to just them specifically is, like you said, such an honor and just such a, um, it's so powerful. Whereas with a student, with the classroom, we were doing everything we could to differentiate instruction and really trying to meet all of our students' learning styles and all these different things. But they're all so different Mm -hmm. that no matter what, there are kids falling through the cracks and there are kids that you're not really hearing or not really teaching in the way that they need. Whereas one-on-one, you can. It's so much, so much better.
1: Yeah. Look, I've taught classes of, you know, say 10, 8, 9, 10, super enthusiastic adults who were really eager and excited to learn German. I tried my best to make it really fun. And we had like a little auction where everybody had to auction something off. Nice, (laughs) that's awesome. That was good. (laughs) Yes. And still, I had a group of people where... Two of them had these needs, two of them had these needs. Some of them were much more confident, much more willing to try something out. Some of them felt, you know, needed a lot more encouragement than other people. And in the in the kind of education system with schools where we have to organize and herd so many people around... That is even more amplified, I feel, because we just get these really big classes. I think 20 people is a big class and each of them is an individual. It just is a tricky, a tricky situation.
0: Yeah, I had classes with, of 33 in the Bronx because they just didn't have the budget. They didn't have mm-hmm. the space and we had huge classes. And when you're thinking of 33 students to try and plan a lesson that's really going to um, meet all of them where they are especially both French and English students were at such different levels where they are I had some students who had you know just moved to the country and spoken no English mm-hmm. and other students who were quite fluent and just hadn't yet passed the nicest lat this test in New York that they had to test to get out of ESL classes right and then same with French I had students who had moved from Ghana and spoke French quite well and mm-hmm. then other students who had never heard a word of French in their lives <laughs> So it's so difficult to take a language class where you have thirty-three students at such mixed levels of skill, and also trying to think about all the different learning styles, and that to plan a lesson. That lesson planning would take me hours to do a good lesson, and lots of times when I only had ten or fifteen minutes for a lesson, were not the best lessons. <laughs> I can't think of specifics for, but I know that a lot of them were not amazing.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. A dose of reality. I, right. love, I love your honesty about this. This is fantastic.
0: <laughs> I mean, I'm sure all teachers are are facing the same type of struggle, right? Mm-hmm. But for language teachers, especially, sometimes it's more on more extreme because students come in with um, different levels of, um, you know, they they sometimes already have a lot of experience with the language. Whereas for a lot of content um, classes. All the students come in and none of them know anything about chemistry or whatever is being taught. Whereas language, you have a good chance to have some students in there who who, maybe they were raised in a bilingual household and they speak very well or at least have, you know, learned a little bit here and there. And you can have some vastly different levels.
1: Have you ever struggled with your confidence as a teacher?
0: I don't think so. I think I'm sort of a naturally very competent person, maybe to a fault. <laughs> that might have made some of my lessons worse because I would feel like I got this, I could do this, you know, with just sort of an outline of what I wanted to happen. Um, but I, yeah, I don't think I don't think I struggled with confidence. I maybe should have. Like it might have made me a better teacher if I, but I didn't have time. I didn't have time to be second guessing myself. <laughs> I <was laughs> You know, I still had the two kids at home and I was teaching a f- double load, French and ESL. Mm-hmm. Um, it, yeah. And I was, I was just barely getting by. I was barely treading water, holding my head above water, you know, so I just did the best that I could. I don't remember lacking confidence. I I remember just sort of winging it a lot, um, but still feeling like I did a pretty good job, you know, because I made the classes fun. Like if nothing else, they learned something, they had some fun, even if, you know, not all of the students were totally fluent in a language but at the end of the day.
1: <laughs> That's, you, you're showing <laughs> such a good example as well of having a core value. I think as a teacher, it can really benefit you to have sort of one or two core values that you know, like I, I have this in, in my business for sure, where I know if I communicate nothing but this and if I stick to nothing but these, then I've still done my best. I've still lived up to what I expect for myself.
0: Yes, definitely. Right. I, no matter, I'd never taught a boring class, right? There may have been times where a student would leave and if I had given them an exit ticket, they had no way they, they hadn't retained the information, but it wasn't boring. They had fun with the classroom (laughs) management. There were some times where it was kind of bonkers in there and, you know, it might not have been, um, (laughs) if the principal came in, she would have been furious probably, but no one was bored. No one was dreading going to my class. So that's something
1: hmm Is that something you've maintained in your one-to-one teaching life?
0: Yeah, I think so. I, I am a very positive person. I'm a very upbeat person. So none of my classes are boring. Even if we're, you know, we're grading an essay, like it's still, I'm still like, there are funny things, you know, and, and interesting things to like bring out of something. And I, I think I still keep it interesting. Um, even if the content doesn't lend itself as easily to it.
1: hmm Is there a book or any kind of resource that is generally accessible if somebody hasn't taken a full-on teaching qualification, anything that you can recommend for somebody to get started and get a sense of how they can improve their teaching skill?
0: Oh, that's a good question. If there is, let me know if you find it. (laughs) (laughs) I would be interested to look into that. Not that I know of. I, I feel like, for me, I never... I never sat down and said, okay, I'm going to be an ESL teacher. What resources should I look at? That just that wasn't my path. It sort of fell in my lap, and I um, have kind of gone with, you know. Th- um I was able to to get this amazing job that I love that is so flexible and so rewarding. Um but I never you know, I don't know. I just um I'm really not the expert if it comes to someone who does have that path. You know, I I don't know. I don't know what the first thing would be to do <laughs> to go that way. But I do know if you have like if you have a bachelor's degree and if and now you want to teach online you don't have to go back and get another bachelor's degree in education. You know what I mean? There are so many other paths. There are so many interesting things you can do to teach online um, with any degree. And maybe it will mean continued education or more certification courses, Mm -hmm. but um, the path is there. And I think it's possible that some students are feeling like they have to just repeat their education when that's not the case. Mm
1: -hmm. Aubrey, last question then. If there is a thing that you could change about the English teaching industry and your life as a one-to-one teacher, what would you want
0: to change? Oh, ooh, that is a toughie. <laughs> um, hmm. I've been talking to um, our team at Allers English about creating something kind of like italki. Um That would be more specialized to specific subjects. So, if I if I were to change something, I'd love to see that happen. Instead of um, I, you know, I don't know that much about it. I have a general idea what it is. I worked for Varsity Tutors for a while, Um, and I think I think it could be improved in a way if different platforms, smaller platforms, could have their own sort of version of Italki. Does that make sense? So. Someday. Someday I'd like to see something like that happen.
1: Mm. So maybe a tiny spark of entrepreneurship. Maybe.
0: <laughs> tiny.
1: You've certainly got the creativity.
0: Well, thank you. I may have that. I'm just like, give, give my ideas to someone else and, and you run with it. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds dreamy. <laughs> right? I know. Sounds so easy and less stressful. <laughs>
1: <sighs> okay, last question then. I dunno I'd already said last question. We're gonna edit the heck out the of this gymnasium. one for sure. All right. <laughs> it's so, it's so much fun. I think it's because you, you say so much with every reply that by the time I've thought of my next question, I've thought of three next questions. <laughs>
0: <Yes>. <laughs> well that's not a bad thing. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: <laughs> okay, so what else do you think you will want to do in the next three, four years as a teacher?
0: I definitely see myself staying with Allers English. I love this team. We're an all-female team. It's very strong. These amazing women, I love working with them. I really love my students, international students that are just just dreamy. Like, like The word dreamy and now I can't think of another adjective, but I really love it. I'm very happy. I feel very fulfilled and the flexibility that I have to be able to be here for my kids and still teach and feel that success. Because as a mother, I, there are probably mothers out there who have felt this. It's hard to just feel, um, that same, validation that you get from a job and coworkers and a paycheck as a mom. It's hard to have that be an intrinsic validation. And so I knew I wanted to work. I I needed that as well. And I needed um, some kind of schedule to, you know, maybe force me to be productive. And I've found that. I feel like I've found this um, perfect job where I'm able to be very creative and help, um, you know, plan the future for this very interesting, amazing company with a team that I love. So I'm excited to see where things go for us. I think we have a lot of great things on the horizon at All Year's English, and and I'm happy to continue um, teaching students. Um, I really love. I really love ESL. I've really enjoyed um, what I'm doing, and so I yeah, I see myself kind of continuing on this path for several years, mm. which Wait. is a good feeling. <laughs>
1: Do you think in teaching English as a as a foreign language there is a social justice element that needs to be stronger in the industry?
0: Yes. Um I I don't have a lot of chances because the classes that I teach are so, you know, the, the student has paid for an hour and they have very specific needs. So I don't really have an opportunity to um, get to know a lot of my students as a person and and see what life is like for them. But every now and then I get a glimpse. If it's just like a, how are you doing? And they'll, they'll mention something. Or some of those part one questions, like those personal questions I was telling you, sometimes they will share something personal about um their country or their culture—something that's happening—that for me, growing up in a democracy and here here in the United States, feels very off for me. Um, and I think as we become more of a worldwide community of learners, and you know, the internet, these one-on-one classes are, are breaking down these barriers to where we're getting to know each other more. We're starting to realize things about the world that that we could maybe change, that definitely need change and maybe in a small way we could. And I think it's sort of baby steps, but I think it can happen through through language classes in a way and and then just through other initiatives where we're creating this community of learners that understands each other better, understands each other's culture and language and background. And because of that, the stigmas are going away and we're starting to just see each other as As other humans, right, and wanting the best for each other, and that sort of drives toward wanting to make changes in the world.
1: Mm. Lovely. Well said. (laughs) Is there anything else that you want to share about teaching about the how how can other people get this lucky super lucky happy job? This is amazing.
0: (laughs) I know. I do feel like I was I was pretty lucky, but I, I I think there is a ton of opportunity out there for teaching online. I think that this pandemic has really shown us that classes don't need to be in person. Textbooks are not the way to go. And so learning can happen online. I think it's going to really, the market's really going to explode for opportunities for learning online. So, you know, any teachers out there, especially if they're at all entrepreneurial minded, I'm sure there are opportunities to be exploited, right? Take advantage of those and um yeah especially if you're, your your nature is a little less like mine where you just need um you know a, a flexible job that you can do while you're home with your kids
1: <laughs> it helps to know yourself and helps to know your goals Aubrey, this, yeah. was, this was so much fun i could talk to you for for ages it's really <laughs> interesting to hear just this window into your world and you don't every day hear for somebody from somebody who is an e s l teacher and has found a job where they're working for somebody else that makes them this happy
0: yeah that's probably true i I do feel very lucky i I recognize it you know and i'm I'm grateful for it and it was just so fun chatting with you i'm 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 grateful that I have a chance to do something that I have fun with and and create you know fun for other people and and it's been um it's been nice to sort of share my journey with you so thanks for giving me that opportunity
1: not at all (laughs) now the way we sign off on the fluent show is I say it's goodbye from me goodbye and then my guest gets a chance to say goodbye in any language of their choosing so get ready for sign off it is goodbye from me bye listeners and it is goodbye from Aubrey Carter Yes, au revoir. Thank you for listening to The Fluent Show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting the show by leaving a review in your podcast app or even becoming a member of our Patreon community where our supporter perks include a secret feed full of added show notes and a VIP option where you can get priority answers to your listener questions on the podcast. Don't forget that you can send us your language questions and feedback to hello at fluentlanguage.co.uk or find us on Twitter at The Fluent Show or Instagram hashtag The Fluent Show. We're always so excited to hear from you and read every message and review. See you next week.